Greetings, friends. Welcome to Your Stories Matters Here, a podcast of Dewtill Church in Cranberry Township, Pennsylvania. My name is Tom Parkinson. I'm the senior pastor at Dewtill Church, and we're so glad you've joined us. At Your Story Matters Here, we really do believe that individual stories matter. And so we look for God's fingerprints in the stories of people from our church and community, and we release a new episode on the first Wednesday of every month. So be sure to click subscribe and follow on whatever platform you're listening from. Uh, we'd love to have you with us. Today, we're very excited to welcome a member of our community. It's a special time in Cranberry Township because our public library is celebrating its 50th birthday this year, and Dewtill Church has had a great relationship with our library over the years, and we believe every community needs a strong library, and we're grateful that we have one here in Cranberry Township. So I'm very pleased to welcome to the Your Story Matters Here podcast, the director of the Cranberry Public Library since 2008, Welcome, Leslie Pallotta. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Hi, Leslie. It's good to see you. So I'll just go full disclosure for our listeners. Uh, Leslie and I get to work together because in addition to my role here at Dewtill Church, I have the joy of volunteering on the library's board of directors. And so Leslie and I see each other a lot. We do. We talk a lot. Yes. I don't know if it's too much, but it's a lot. No, it's not. Never too much, Tom. <laughs> well, Leslie, before we get into your story... Everybody who loves to read is always looking for, you know, top reads. Absolutely. So just right out the gate, give us a nugget. Three best books you've read this year. So three best books. Two um, two of them are, I don't want to say a little bit older, um, but uh, one would be The Remarkably Bright Creature, um, actually narrated by an octopus. Um quirky read to be sure, but a feel-good read. Anybody that's read the book A Man Called Ova um, is going to love this book. It's by Shelby Van Pelt. Um, Second one I'm going to recommend uh, is winning all kinds of awards by very, very popular author named Barbara Kingsolver, and it's Demon Copperhead. She has retold uh, the Dickens classic David Copperfield in present times. And boy, has she nailed that book. She's winning all kinds of awards for it. It's a long book. It's a hard book to read, but boy, she is such a wordsmith. She is so good with her storytelling. And the third book is pure fun. And it's described as a mashup of the Great British Baking Show meets the movie Clue. It's called The Golden Spoon by Jessa Maxwell, um, a whodunit um, that is just Fun, fun, fun to read. There's a list for you. So I hope you had your pen out and you were writing that down. Now, Leslie, did you say that first book is narrated by an octopus? It is. It's one of the narrators. It is an octopus in an aquarium who develops a relationship with the aquarium's cleaning lady. And um, that is a tease to pique your interest. It is, like I said, a quirky read, fun, feel-good book. It's a lot of fun. All right. That's a great list. So if you learned nothing else on the podcast today, you learned that there is a book narrated by an octopus. So that is that was worth the price of admission, right? Well, Leslie, let's get into your story a bit. So, sure. I, you know, if I look at your resume, right, grew up in Ross Township and, and studied English at John Carroll University, but there's 18 years there yep. um, that you don't see on a resume. So tell us a little bit about your childhood when did you develop a love for language and learning, and, and what really prompted you to move your life in the direction of studying English and the arts? Sure. Um, so as my mother tells it, there wasn't a time that I didn't like stories, and I was the kid who was always 
read it again, read it again, read it again. Um, my mom read to us constantly when we were kids. Uh, she, my mother actually worked in a library. Um, so we grew up with libraries constantly. My mom was a corporate library though, it, where she worked. So, um, trips to the public library were always something special for me. I'm not sure that my brother felt the same way, but I enjoyed my trips to the library immensely. Um, Tom, I think there are some people that just inherently know how to read because I was never, I never learned how to read. I just always knew how to do it. And my family backs that, 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 um, you know, when the other kids in first grade were doing phonics, I was over in the corner already reading by myself and the teachers knew that. So I, I think honestly, it is just something that I came out of the womb knowing how to do. That's really cool. I think what's remarkable about that is it's, it says that there's something about what you do today. That's just inherent in who God made you to be. And yep. that's pretty, yeah. that's pretty cool. So when you were a kid and you were reading, 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 did you love to write as well? I did like to write. In fact, for a long period of time, I, I thought I might want to be a writer. Um, writing is hard, as you know, as a published author, it is, um, it's a hard, hard thing to do. Yeah. Well, so you're reading a lot growing up. You're mm -hmm. going to libraries as a treat. When was the moment when you thought to yourself, I, I think I want to be a librarian. Right. So um, because I like to read and uh, went to the library a lot, everybody always said, why don't you become a librarian? Your mom worked in a library. And I always said, no, I don't want to do that. Um, well, when I went to John Carroll, um, I was on a work-study scholarship. And so I had to find a job. And the very first day on campus, where did I go to get my job? but the library. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Most of the student workers were assigned to the circulation area of the library. Somehow I got assigned to the back end and the technical services side of the library and ended up loving it. And almost from day one in college, I sort of knew this is where I'm heading. This is where I'm happiest. This is what I enjoy doing. The classes were fine but I really enjoyed my work study in the library. So think back to that time. You you find yourself in the library. You're kind of working behind the scenes on yep. the technical side. You know, what did you learn there about what a librarian does that you just never thought a librarian would actually do? Right. So I never thought about um, the process of how the books are obtained. And it's different for a university library versus a public library, of course. But in the university library, um, the the professors are driving a lot of what is purchased because they need it to match their curriculum. Um, and I had never given that any thought. Um, in a public library, the public should be driving the purchasing. Um, of course, the librarians are the ones selecting the materials, but there's a saying in libraries, know your community because that's who you're serving. So we are constantly being reminded of that when we're purchasing items and thinking about that, will this book or movie or audio fit my community? Um, and I had not really thought about that, mm. as, you know, as a library user before. Yeah. And I think the more I've gotten to understand how our library in Cranberry works, the more I realize that your role as a library director 
it, it's more than meets the eye, I guess is the way <laughs> I would say it. very much is, yes. You know, typically when we think of librarians, we think of, you know, the person who, who, you know, shelves the books or organizes the books, tells everybody to be quiet, Yes, right? yep. The library is not actually a quiet place, is it? <laughs> it really isn't. Not anymore, no. What, what would you say is like one aspect of your job that you do pretty regularly that most people just would never imagine this is what a librarian does? Right. So I think the number one answer to that is crowd control. Um, it is the people, right? It, it is essentially the job is serving and working with people. So it was fantastic that I love to read. That is for me when I'm interviewing people to work in the library. I, I think my foregone conclusion is that walking in the door, if you're interviewing in the library, you are. I already know that you love to read. Because most people don't apply to work in the library if they don't love to read. And I hear that constantly when I'm interviewing people. What I really like when I'm interviewing people, and this, I'm tipping everybody, I'm tipping my hand here, um, is that you like working with people mm. because it is a public-facing job and you're constantly interacting with the public. And that is can be challenging and rewarding all at once, as you know. Um, you never know what's going to walk in. Every day is different. And that is part of why I love it, right? I never know what I'm going to get. <laughs> and you get all people from all walks all of life. races, denominations, ages, uh, characters. It, it's fascinating. It, it, every, your podcast sums it up. Every story matters. Yes. And I get to hear every story when I'm working. Very cool. Very cool. Yep. Well, you know, one of the things that I've noticed just as I've been you know, raising my own children is when I was a kid, there was a school library and you went there at least once a week, maybe yep. more, mm -hmm. and we're constantly researching and checking out books. Well, now there's a move in public schools away from having libraries and schools. Yes. Um, they're using the space more for STEM type programming. Mm -hmm. um, but I know that children's programming and the children's library is a really important part of your story. You were a children's right. librarian. Uh, in Moon Township for a time. But more than that, even at Cranberry Library, there's a real emphasis on the children's collection and the children's programming. Right. So talk to us a little bit. Why are libraries an important part of children's lives? And what do you think, particularly the Cranberry Library, does to prioritize children? Sure. So when we go to school, uh, so much of what we have to read is assigned and we're told, you, you know, th this is on our reading list for the year. The library is a place where nobody's telling you what you have to read. You can read whatever you want. You can that's the pure joy of coming into a library as a child as an adult. You get to pick whatever you want off of the shelf and hopefully we've done a good job with the collection that there's something there that you're going to like and be passionate about. Children's librarianship is important just with the supplemental of what the school and the schools are teaching as far as literacy components go. A lot of people think um, story time is come in and a, a, an old lady is going to sit in the chair and read a story to your child. If you haven't been to a story time lately, I can't tell you how wrong that perception is mm -hmm. at this point. Story times are almost like performances. There's singing, there's dancing, there's motion. And the thought that goes into play planning a story time keeps in mind all of the pre-literacy skills, right? There's a reason why we do rhyming in ch with children who are very young. It is to pick up the speech patterns and the repetitiveness so that when you are going into learning how to read, that's already developed and that's in you. 
Um, so a whole heck of a lot goes into story times and uh, early literacy that not a lot of people think about when they come to story times. I think that's yeah. a great point. And I, and I would just give a little pitch to any parents that are out there. If you've not taken advantage of a story time at the Cranberry Library, do it. It's, it's a fun experience, but, but there's a lot of pedagogy and educational uh, nuggets that kind of go along with the planning. It's a great program. Well worth your time. Well, Leslie, in, in addition to celebrating 50 years of Cranberry Library this year, you're also celebrating your 15th anniversary I know. as the director. I know. Time flies. Time does fly. So take a look back over 15 years. You came in 2008. Uh, and, you know, if you had to pick two or three of the top accomplishments that you're most proud of for the Cranberry Library in the last 15 years, what would they be? Sure. So the first one, and I was thinking about this all morning when I read your questions, Tom, that was a hard question. I mean, there's one immediately obvious answer, and we'll get to that in a minute. But the, the other answer that I thought, it's not something tangible, but I've been very, very lucky to have a few people work under me who have gone on to pursue careers as professional librarians, and I've gotten to mentor them through that process. I'd like to think that I had a small part in their decision. And, and I so enjoy doing that and so love when they come back and they ask for my help or ask, what would you do? Um, I know I had librarians as I was coming up that I still reference and I would say, in fact, our former director was one of them. And I, I sit at my desk and I think, what would Carol do in this situation? You know, and I, I, that has just been a joy to be able to do that. Yeah. That's really cool. And I think about um, when you're in the process of mentoring somebody, it's not actually sidetracking you from your work. It's not actually, it helps you be better at what you do, right. I imagine. Because I'm reprocessing and rethinking things, right? Sometimes my answer changes, right? So what I would have done 15 years ago, when I look back, I think, you know what, I, I did it this way then. But if I had to do it over or I had to do it now, I'd probably do it a different way. That happens quite frequently, actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think about the last 15 years, and really there's a recent accomplishment that I'd love to hear you talk about, yeah. and that is that uh, the Cranberry Library opened The Forge right? recently. The Forge is a kind of state-of-the-art makerspace. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about The Forge? What's a makerspace? What's The Forge? Where did this idea come from, and how can people get plugged into it? Sure. So that was my other big accomplishment. That was a... It was a long time to from conception all the way to opening the doors of the forge. A makerspace is exactly what it sounds like. It is a space where you go to make things, all kinds of things. Um, we have a laser engraver in there. We have 3D printing technology. We have um, weaving looms. We have sewing machines and embroidery machines. We have hand tools that you can use. We have more craft supplies than I've ever seen in one place ever outside of Joanne Fabric, of course. <laughs> but it is an invitation to come into a space and make something. And you ask, well, what do we make? If you can think it, we can probably help you figure out a way to make it. We've made all kinds of things. I think the makerspace is, uh, it's an amazing asset in our community. And I think people are beginning to discover it. Um, one of the things our listeners will be interested in is Dewtill Church had a chance to be involved at the outset. Mm -hmm. So our church is pretty passionate about sewing. We have a sewing ministry here. And so we donated, uh, I think, a, a 
sewing machine and maybe a, a couple of looms. Looms and two uh, sewing machines. And two sewing machines. Yeah. yeah. So we were able to be involved at the ground of the makerspace. And now that the makerspace is open, I've personally had a chance to to use the space a couple of times. I am not crafty at all. Um, but when I get in the makerspace, it's like the creative juices get flowing. It's a fun collaborative space. Yes. The way I would describe it is it's not your it's not the way you typically think of a library, but it's still the same purpose of a library. It brings people together to learn together, to grow together, and to experience something good together. Right. Collaboration is a huge component of the makerspace. We offer lots of classes that uh, people get to sit and work together on. Our makerspace manager is always in there collaborating and helping people. Mary Frances is great about not um, telling you you must do something this way, but steering people in a direction or giving them food for thought as to how they might want to proceed with a project. Um, so yeah, collaboration is a huge part of the makerspace. And and Mary Francis, who is the uh, coordinator of the makerspace, she has a background in Disney. And so she's got that creative spirit and she's high energy. And I can't believe some of the cool projects yeah, that she, come out of that place. Yeah, She's a lot of fun to work with. Always just making people laugh and smiling and finding the sunny side of things. And she is, it is hard to be in that space with Mary Frances and not be happy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's a great space. Um, like I said, I'm not crafty and I even find it very accessible and a lot of fun uh, to be in the makerspace. Uh, Leslie, talk a little bit. You, you mentioned earlier that one of the things about your job is that you're interacting with so many different types of people and you're relating to so many different types of people. And I think um, at the end of the day, relationships are what God made us for. Yeah. So talk a little bit about your faith journey. I know you have a Roman Catholic background. Yeah. Talk a little bit about your faith journey and how does your faith inform the way you handle those day-to-day -day interactions with all those people? Sure. So I, I think, as you said, I grew up Roman Catholic. Honestly, Tom, I never went to a public education uh, it, public institution for education until graduate school. Um, and that was University of Pittsburgh for my master's degree. When I was in college, um, I was taught John Carroll's run by the Jesuits. And in the Catholic Church, they are the scholars of the church. They taught me how to think. Right? Every Question everything is what the Jesuits teach you. And I, I keep that in mind so much while I'm uh, making decisions at work. What is the right thing to do in a situation? And I'm not talking about purchasing books. I'm, I'm talking greater decisions than that. It is always in the back of my head to do the right thing, and that comes directly from my faith. Mm -hmm. um, I, ironically enough, when I was at Pitt, I had a, a priest who went on to become a Vatican librarian, but he taught an ethics course, hands down the hardest course that I had in grad school. And again, forced us to think, really think about the importance of our decisions and how they impact others. My principle in life with the library and how I personally run my life is always do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And that comes directly from my faith. Yeah. No doubt I think about that's a, it. I think that's a good testimony. And I think about, um, I've seen this even in the work that we do together. Um, sometimes people uh, come to the library with a particular uh, concerns and sometimes strongly held opinions. Yeah. And 
you know, part of being a community space and being a community library is being able to listen with compassion and understanding while also recognizing that it's a public space and it's a community space. And so we have to have certain policies and guidelines that direct what we do. Right. Absolutely. And that is a challenge. Um, you, you, you put it as one of your questions. You, you, Tom gave, was kind enough to give me a preview, and a lot of libraries are coming under fire right now for some of the materials that are on the shelves. Um, and again, always stepping back and acknowledging that somebody has a legitimate concern about something. Right? They're most times not um, coming in with a preset agenda. This is something they feel passionate about. And to respectfully listen and hear out the concerns. And sometimes it is hard, right? Sometimes I agree with what the people are upset about in a particular item or volume. But I have to also step back and think, does this represent someone in our community? Might somebody find this information helpful or be able to relate to it? I think that's a, I think that's a great mindset to have. And it's this recognition that the library's here to serve the whole community. Mm -hmm. And part of serving the whole community means making space for people that think, act, live differently than than maybe others. You do that really well, Leslie. Thank you. You do that with a lot of grace. (laughs) Thank you. All right, Leslie, uh, we've got to wrap this up, but uh, another good question for you because everybody wants to know this these Uh days. Tell me your personal preference, print editions or eBooks. It's all I do read ebooks, but it's always going to be print for me, especially with kids, because to me, there is no greater joy than sitting down with a kid next to me and reading a paper book. <laughs> I'm with you. I love a paper book and I like to be able to write in it. Yes, I like to write in books, too. I know everybody out there is probably cringing that the librarian writes in books, but I do. <laughs> Not well, you, can't, books. you can't write in the Not library, library books. books. <laughs> Leslie, thank you so much for taking some time to share your story today. If you all would like to learn more about the Cranberry Library, certainly check out their website and also be on the lookout. October 31st is the official 50th birthday of the Cranberry Library. We'll have a little celebration at the library that day. Uh, But Leslie, thanks so much for giving us your time today. You're very welcome. Happy to do it. Friends, we thank you so much for listening to Your Story Matters here, and we hope that you'll click subscribe and come join us again next month as we look for God's fingerprints in more stories. Until then, may the Lord bless you.